Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. I hope that you had a reflective and re- re- welcome back, everybody, to another. Ed- welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. I hope that you had a restful and reflective Memorial Day weekend. I have on today a guest that uh, I, like a lot of guests I find, was uh, musings on on LinkedIn and Twitter, and uh, her name is Carol Roth. She's a creator uh, of the Future Flyer, a legacy planning system. Uh, she's an investment banker. She's an entrepreneur. Um, she also, <laughs> her own bio, she plays herself on TV even has a action figure of herself that we'll get into that in the podcast but I really enjoyed her insights on where we might be going in the financial you know wake of covid-19 and for a lot of other reasons uh, she is candid she is um, really interesting to follow on Twitter I find her to be a breath of fresh air um, but I also watched her hold her own on several uh, interviews with financial analysts and and heck even get to interview uh, Sir Richard Branson one-on-one, and uh, I was mesmerized by that. So for those and many other reasons, I wanted to have on Carol as well, and I know that you're going to enjoy this as well. And if you enjoy the episode, we love it when you share or make some comments about it and on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. All right, enough gabbing for me. This one's highly entertaining, and I know that you're going to love Carol Roth. We are now joined with Carol Roth. Carol, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to be here with you, Don. I remember when I first saw you, discovered you on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> actually, I said this pre-show, and I don't mean this to be a, a, a backhanded compliment. Your snarkiness and your level of um, wit are, are welcomed. And uh, I just saw you as not a contrarian, but a person that was looking for um, silver linings and, and opportunities. Would that be a fair assessment? So I think it's a partially a fair assessment. I'm always looking for the opportunity. I'm definitely not a glasses half full kind of person. I'm just sort of like, there's a glass, like what can we do with it kind of person. But I do love humor. And my mantra is funny always wins. Funny is funny. And, you know, if if you want to come at me with something and you're going to say something that's funny and it can be obnoxious, it can be against me. I don't even care. If it's funny, it is going to win. So um, I have an acquired taste for some, but for those who get it, like you, I appreciate you. And uh, <laughs> those who don't, I have other uh, value to add. Sure. No, it, well, it's ironic. So when, again, I, I like came across your stuff and then uh, I immediately followed you, uh, your Twitter bio, we'll ask about the action figure thing here in a second. But the first thing I did is did a YouTube search and the first thing that popped up is you interviewing Richard Branson. Yeah. I don't need to fanboy out, but what was that like? So the best part about it is he gave me a standing ovation. (laughs) So I had that on tape. So from a selfish standpoint, that's all I cared about. Um, No, it was like hurting a cat because Richard Branson is so brilliant and has so many ideas that he's all over the place. So to try and get him to stay focused, uh, because I was... I was hired by Virgin to interview him. So it was his own company and they had a specific set of things that they were trying to articulate. So to try to get that articulated 
keep him engaged and keep uh, him and then everybody else focused. It was um, it was a, a kind of extensive and fun event where I was basically hosting a show with no commercial breaks live and transitioning from interviewing him to interviewing a panel to doing pitches to interacting with the audience, all just like by myself with no cues or whatever. So it was it was a challenge, but it was fun. Um, Richard was very generous with his little standing O and now we get to talk about it, so. <laughs> that is cool. Uh, before we get into the background on the success stuff, uh, action figure? Yeah, well, okay, so uh, you you can see me, no one else can, but I will pull one out so that you, you can verify here. So I have an action figure that is made in my own likeness, and the backstory of it is twofold. One is that I have been working extensively as a basically an outsourced chief customer officer for a company that makes um, toys and collectibles for probably 15 years called Integrity Toys and um, do a lot of really cool work with them. And they make beautiful dolls and action figures and fashion figures and whatnot. And when I wrote my book, The Entrepreneur Equation, about 10 years ago, um, when my publisher took it out, he wanted to really have my brand as part of it. He put me on the cover of it. And at that time, there were these things called bookstores that were fairly important if you were an author, not so much anymore. And the buyer, Barnes & Noble, who was a big deal, said she's too attractive to be taken seriously as a business author, so either ugly her up or pull her off the cover. And my publisher, who is amazing and very collaborative, came back and said, okay, this is your thing, so I'm not going to stand in your way, but just know that these are important people. And it took me all of two seconds to go, you know, not only am I not going to pull myself off the cover, because you would never tell John or Don that, you just ever say, Don, you're too handsome to be on the cover. Well, of thanks. Yeah. <laughs> How insulting. Um, so, so, wow. I don't yeah, think that so, they would get away with that in 2020. Yeah. So, so well, again, this was, this was about 10 years ago. So I said, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to do this marketing thing that is going to be the biggest FU possible. And so I created an action figure that mirrored exactly what I was wearing on the cover of the book with a little, you know, tiny little book as a, a thing. And it became part of my promotion. And if you bought a certain number of books, you got an action figure and it was very, very successful. And it was been a, bit, a very successful branding endeavor because everybody wants to have an action figure because it's really cool and you just can't. I, um, so, the, you know, so that's a very cool thing, but yeah, it came out of this desire to just say F you basically. Uh, do you know, um, he's been trending heavily, Zuby. I am familiar, like, I don't know him personally, but he follows me, I follow him, so I'm yes, aware of who he is. Yeah, no, I mean, he had similar thing. He he got basically, it's a long story, but the, the phrase that got him banned from Twitter for a week, he is now selling t-shirts uh, with that phrase because, you know, that obstacle is the way. So well, he I ended mean, up having is, the last laugh. Right, so I mean, this is exactly the like center of the plate unintentionally of what you wanted to talk about, right? Is like when you're faced with an obstacle, what's the opportunity? Right, right, and right. The, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the philosophy here was, okay, if you think that this is something that is going to be 
unusual and stand out. Let's lean into that. Let's let's right. take it to the next level instead of seeing it as a challenge. Let's see that as an opportunity and let's lean into it. And that was very successful. So I did it out of spite, but from an opportunity standpoint, it was good as well. <laughs> I'm one of those, you know, the, I don't know if you've been watching the, the last dance with, uh, you know, the documentary about the Bulls on ESPN, yeah. which is just amazing. And I've got a little bit of Michael Jordan in me. I am not nearly as petty as he is, but uh, in terms of being motivated by negativity, like to me, the most motivating thing somebody can tell me is that I can't do something. Yeah. So I'm the type of person who's motivated in that way. Not everybody mm -hmm. is. There are people who need um, positivity and support and I'm much better with the no you can't do that and, and yeah. just, just have to kind of know what gets you going so. before I dig in deep to the silver lining things I got to ask because you, you you teed it up well um, you wrote a book about entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindsets 10 years ago what do you think has changed so the book that I wrote was very much really about what it means and what it takes to be an entrepreneur and also how small business is somewhat conflated with entrepreneurship. Not to say that you, you're not an entrepreneur if you're in a small business because you are, but just the scope of what you're doing vis-a-vis -vis what you're risking is often that that risk reward equation um, is out of whack, which is why I called it the entrepreneur equation. And so I don't think fundamentally things have shifted much in the last 10 years. Things have shifted a lot in the last 25 years. 25 years ago, there were things that, you know, hadn't really been thought of and that we needed. And, you know, there were these big pockets and holes um, where now things are much more competitive. It is, is more difficult to get people's attention than ever before. But that being said, there's always problems that need to be solved. And as our lives move along, different problems present themselves. As we're speaking right now, during this weirdo time that we're living in with coronavirus or COVID-19 or whatever you want to call it, um, obviously a whole slew of new behaviors are presenting themselves. And with that creates challenges and opportunities, just like we're talking about, depending on which side you choose to focus on is, you know, kind of where you'll come out on this. And so I do think that the landscape is always changing in the way that people present themselves and, and the behaviors and, and um, you know, landscape create opportunities always. But the fundamental principles about risk reward, what you're spending your time on, you know, if you're the right person pursuing the right opportunity at the right time, um, you know, all of those kinds of basic fundament fundamentals don't shift at all. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I, I totally agree because that sometimes return to the basics is they're fundamentals for a reason. I, I, it's, it's somewhat ironic that Gary Vaynerchuk has been so outspoken about fake entrepreneurialism. And at the same time, I see a lot of cults of Gary uh, on the what I call, you know, team steak versus team sizzle. Uh, I run an entrepreneur contest for the state of Indiana. And sometimes you have the engineering kids who have a wonderful steak. They don't even know what they have on their hands. Meanwhile, you've got the, some of the marketing kids that like, dude, I, like, I love it if they want to work with Team Steak because they shouldn't be in charge. They should market yeah. Team Steak because you have a lot of influencers, right? I'm using my very sarcastic air quotes, but I've, in a lot of ways, I feel bad for them because 
it worked for Gary, except Gary was saying, you don't understand my business. Yes, I have a personality because I see a lot of, you know, a, a, a friend of mine, Steve Sims, he was joking online that he had an offer from a 19-year-old on, on him being his life coach. Uh, Steve has accomplished a lot. A 19-year-old is a 19-year-old. I don't care who you are. You're 19. And so I have seen the, diff- the, the, the term entrepreneur has been thrown around loosely. Again, I, I give credit a little bit to Gary for like pushing both the accelerator and the brakes. It is, it is awesome to, for you to be in charge of your own destiny. But renting a Lamborghini for 15 minutes, taking your picture on it, saying you're an influencer and you're an entrepreneur is dangerous. Because then when you're not chilling with Gary on his G5, you then somehow feel less than. So it, it's, it's been a very interesting time. Like, it's very, like, I, I work with youth and like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Awesome. Do you know what that takes? Well, you know what that means. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that's the bigger issue. I mean, I have a, a number of young um, youth in my family and our extended family. And there are a lot of phrases that get uh, thrown about that when you actually push them on what it means, they have absolutely no idea. And I would venture to say most people just say, like the word capitalism has been bastardized. The word entrepreneur has been bastardized. And certainly I respect any hustle. And, you know, if you're young and you're trying to make some cash in your pocket, good for you. Um, and I think it, it provides some great lessons. But then the question is, you know, that that only sustains you for so long. And, and then and then what? And what does that mean after that? Yeah. So let me dig back into finding silver linings. I, uh, I again, a, a decent amount of my audience um, is the 18 to 29 year old genre. We get a decent amount of teachers listen as well too. But um, I, I do fear that the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, especially on the entrepreneurial side. I'm seeing a, a lot of opportunity rise from these situations too, yeah? Well, listen, I mean, if the sky is going to fall, somebody's going to need to clean it up when it breaks into a bunch of pieces on the floor. So I want to be the guy who's got the broom and, and, you know, the mop in the bucket who's cleaning up the sky after it falls. Because then, you know, I mean, the world's not going to end. And if it does, then, you know, you don't have to worry about anything. But assume let's 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 roll with the odds here and assume that it doesn't you know, what, like you said, what is the opportunity that comes out of this and how can I position myself? And I think that, you know, too many people think of the easy and the obvious, you know, the number of individuals I know who have pivoted to making masks. Okay. Everybody has figured that out and and everyone and their brother and their brother's brother is now going to or will be making masks. You're going to get the big companies. You're already seeing it with the branding on it. Like that was a good, like if you were early, you could make a few dollars on it. But in terms of the bigger opportunity, that's not the big opportunity. You need to be thinking three steps ahead. What are the behavior, long-term behavior shifts? What are people going to be doing differently? You know, whether it's, you know, six for the next six months, for the next you know year, for the next eighteen months, and here's the thing: we don't know. This is all guesswork and projection. So you want to make sure that you hedge yourself and you don't put all your eggs in one basket. But at the same time, you know, being thoughtful about you know what's something that someone's going to do different. Like for me, 
you know, an interesting thing here is I always, I always enjoyed going to the grocery store. I would never think of having somebody deliver my groceries. Now I have somebody deliver my groceries every week. I kind of like having someone deliver my groceries now. So now that I've, you know, sort of trained myself that this is a cool thing, the likelihood of me going back to the grocery store is much lower than it was before this all started, even if the grocery store is completely fine. So, you know, what are the other kinds of things that people are going to be doing? Um, I talked to one small business owner who was, you know, in a trade show arena and they were the, the people who yeah. assembled and moved things around at trade shows. I mean, trade shows, I mean, those are like, you know, thousands of people, in some cases, yeah. tens of thousands of people, those are not going to be back in any meaningful way. So we had a whole brainstorming session and it's like, okay, well, what's your core competency and what is the core competency of the people you're aligned with? And how can you all as a brain trust come together and re-implement that for different businesses? And so some of the things I was talking about with him is whether it was a restaurant or a salon or a grocery store. If you think about a trade show, the, the competency there is designing quick, easy pop-up displays that can be moved and assembled in a very short order. So if you now think of a restaurant who has to deal with social distancing, they don't have the ability since now they've been closed for several months to have six more months of construction to reconfigure their restaurant on something that they don't even know if it's going to last. But wouldn't it be cool if you had that same pop-up ability to maybe reconfigure some dividers or some, you know, plexiglass between tables or something that helps with the flow. Wow. You know, your core competency fits this industry, even though you're not in this industry. And he's like, I would have never thought of that. And so that's, you know, where you need to get out of what you know and your own circle of influence and think about what are all of the, you know, what is it that my core is my core competency? It's not trade show. It's, you know, designing and, and quickly setting up, barriers and displays and, and who else could use that. And when you think and you broaden the way that you look at that issue and problem and your skill set, then it opens up different industries. But if you start saying I'm the trade show guy, then the trade shows are dead for a while. What are you going to do? No, it's interesting because I, like I see the justification now uh, for third party um collaborators right because like it, the difference between being reactionary and visionary is hard when you're in crisis mode i mean it's always, always ironic like when in my youth when i was just out of college i was so dis really desperate for the job i wasn't thinking what was right for me or what i wanted and then when i got employed then all of a sudden all these other job opportunities kind of popped open and i'm like well dang it because now it looks obvious and so a third party to come in there and say, here's something that's probably obvious in front of you and you never were going to think about it because you're in crisis mode is yeah. so important. Um, because I, 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 you're right in the sense that these things, you know, it's, it's that pattern recognition that I always wanted my students to have. We, we, there used to be this game called Disruptus. And you would basically roll a dice and you'd pull a card. And sometimes one of the things you had to do was repurpose something. So like you, you, you pulled the card and it was a stiletto heel. And then you had to come up with three different ways of like, what could it be? Well, it could be a weapon. It could be that a bottle my, opener. That was my first thing. Yeah, right, right. It, 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 it could be a door knocker. Right. Like, you know, actually kind of a cool fashionable door How knocker. It but, could scrape gum off the bottom of your desk. Right. There's a lot of things. But that repurposing yeah. is, is what a lot of people might be missing out on because you're right. Like 
trade shows. Oh, crap, we're screwed. Maybe this could be a partition and maybe we could work with, especially if they're artistic and kind of funky and weird. Look for a restaurant that's looking for something funky, weird and artistic. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and that's also, you know, not just having sort of a, a third party who can help you see the forest for, for the trees, but also your collaborators, because even if you're the one who's just doing the moving around, you're collaborating with the people who are doing the designing and the fabrication, and all of you are going to need to benefit and having three different entities who are all pulling in the same direction then we'll you know, create momentum for everybody and you can all work together as a unit. So whatever skills you may not have, you can bring in other people if they're you know, truly good partners and entrepreneurial. And then everybody's out talking to their clients. And so it creates triple the amount of opportunities by coming together as a unit. And so you know, those are the kinds of things that if you're in, particularly if you're an existing business, um, and you're in this scenario and you're trying to figure out how to pivot that I would be doing. And, and like you said, there's a difference between sort of that triage and that reactionary and the how do I stem the bleeding and that vision of like, okay, what does this mean at least for the next 18 months? And as I said, you know, the, to me, the masks are triage. That's a great way to get quick cash flow but now everybody's going to be doing it. And so that's not going to be any sort of sustainable competitive thing, unless you happen to have like, you know, incredible bubble mask or something that nobody's seen yet, which is, you know, obviously you don't want to be the one investing in that technology because by the time that comes out, then, you know, it, it, it's, that opportunity has moved past you. So you have to be careful there too. Yeah. So it's, it's how do you look, you know, two or three steps ahead and be there in that position for what everybody's going to be dealing with two or three steps ahead. Yeah, actually, it was interesting. Planet Money had done an interesting podcast on kind of uh, the unseen side of like people in the, in the elastic industry, because ironically enough, are masks. They just saw it's like a huge spike on we need elastic. Or yeah. my favorite one was there was a, a lady that was doing Zoom calls where in the Zoom call was, I think, think was it cats or was it cows anyway it basically it was a mental break for some of your zoom calls they would also log in and they charged for it and basically when your zoom calls were filled and populated with a bunch of people that had it on mute and they didn't want to be there there'd be some cat in the background <laughs> just it made you feel better like novel things like that and 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 the amount of all of a sudden, like the, the, the return to we should care about each other and have mental health, you know, check-ins and stuff like that. I, I don't want to say this in a snarky way, but they're monetizing that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it, it, and, and I think that now, you know, I actually, there was, there was kind of this, I felt bad because right when the COVID thing happened. So again, I'm in the education scene and you had a lot of ed tech companies saying, here's a free resource right. and here's a free trial. Of course, because you can never make everybody happy. There was some backlash of like, oh, you're just trying to monetize and all that sort of stuff. And I'm sure they were. They were trying to shock, make a living. However, I but the horror, I, it, the horror, the horror <laughs> that like people say that as if it's a bad thing. It's like, well, how do you, how do you expect the technology to exist if nobody can make money from it? Like right. there needs to be some some reason why people are incentivized to create it in the first place. You lunatics. No, I, I, when I saw that, I was like, but yeah, my backlash was, what, do you not want them to offer anything free? Right. I mean, they're giving you a sample of something. If you think that it sucks, guess what? It goes away. 
It's and not propped it. up. Just as a person, just think about your life. Like if you are enjoying something, if somebody's providing value to you, you should want to pay for it. That this that is your way of showing people that you appreciate their value, and by the way, ensuring that company stays in business so you can continue to appreciate its value. Just like you would expect if you were doing something of value, getting paid, you know that goes the same for everything else in life. And I, you know, whether it's healthcare or anything else. I just fundamentally don't understand this mentality of paying for something is bad. That somebody else's skill, expertise, and time, and you are trading this thing that, you know, is basically a, a, a little note that you've exchanged your knowledge, skill, and time to get this note to give to someone else just to make that exchange easier so that you don't have to do a one-to-one exchange. This is not complicated and it is not an offensive thing. It is a great thing and we should be looking upon that positively. I I remember I had that. Uh, I couldn't believe that he went out there and did it. When, but when Peter Schiff went out and uh, uh, raided the Occupy Wall Street people, it was trying to have uh, a dialogue with people saying how evil capitalism was. And he's like defining the difference between cronyism and capitalism. And it was just amazing because a lot of people were angered and bothered by big corporations. And they got out their iPhone and complained about it on Twitter. And you're like, irony? No? I mean, yeah. So I like that free exchange uh, is is what I've had a hard time with. I mean, it, it hurts me to see bailouts because if you can't survive, you weren't meant for it. Now there are extenuating circumstances and I understand that, but like I did have a personally hard time watching um, cruise ship companies that will refuse to fly the American flag and pay taxes. So they'll fly a different flag that has different tax codes. And yet we're bailing those companies out. I'm sorry. What? Uh, so uh, and I also think there's a difference between a bailout and what happened with small businesses. So let's step, we'll put the yep. cruise ships aside. We'll put them into port for a moment. Um, and you know, in the rest of the country, there were many places where local and state governments ordered businesses to shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you order somebody to shut down, you're violating their individual rights and Scott Linsicum of Cato basically said it's it's like eminent domain, right? You need to compensate people if you're going to basically take use of their property or in this case, not let them use their property. Um, so that's the difference. You know, I don't view what the the PPP or you know, any rescue of small business um, as a bailout because they were forced to do that. And so that was just compensating them for the force. It's very different if you are in a situation, like you said, the cruise, cruise lines. Now, I don't mind extending some sort of debt payment if we get good interest and we get some sort of return. But then you also have to say, well, then who is it available to and what are the criteria? Because then you start yeah. having the government pick, picking winners and losers. Absolutely. And that's a bad scenario. Um, obviously, unusual times, unprecedented times, as every commercial reminds us, you know, requires some unusual measures. But I do think from a, a, a just a discussion of bailouts, it's important to note that, you know, our 30.2 million small businesses in this country, which are the backbone of the economy, were not bailed out. They were given 
really unfair levels of, of you know kind of piddly compensation for being forced out of business and that's a very different scenario that's a good point i um but, total tangent there by the way no no but. no no. i appreciate that it, well like before we end i have to also ask you for some uh the insights on our devaluing dollar and the stock market. Uh, one of the reasons also why is I watched you on YouTube go toe to toe with Robert Reich and I just fanboyed out for a moment. Um, I, I, there are a lot of people, especially I as an educator, um, a lot of people are starting to think about retirement and pulling out of the market, doubling down on the market because it's low, uh, somewhere in between. I, I do have to say I'm, I'm, I'm really you know, that whole hindsight of 2020, like, well, you should have jumped in when it hit 18, stupid. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think a lot of people do, but I do have to say, and I want your insights, the amount of money that is just out that we're, we're doling out, um, obviously there's going to come a day where it has to be called back in or we just keep printing more and devaluing it. Are you optimistic about a 10-year or a five-year turnaround? Or is this the beginning of cryptocurrency? <laughs> so I'm not a big cryptocurrency person, um, full disclosure, not because, you know, I, I think the blockchain in itself as a mechanism has value. Uh, every cryptocurrency I've ever seen um, basically pegs itself against the dollar. <laughs> so a currency that you're saying is is fiat and you know we're going we're, i'm going to peg myself against it and so it, it like i don't know it just it, do, it doesn't compute in my mind it's like well you're basically saying the same thing and you know while cryptocurrency is is backed by nothing other than just people's belief in it the dollar is backed by people's belief in it and oh by the way the u.s government requires everyone to pay taxes in it they you know raise money in that denomination you know they have a military that they pay so there's actually like a, a reason for being a raison d'etre if you will uh, so i don't think that the the dollar is going away um, so the, the only nice thing I will say is that we are fortunate that everyone else is in a bad situation and doing bad and stupid things too. And that gives us a little bit more latitude because this becomes a global currency issue. And so if everybody's being stupid, you get a little bit more latitude, not that I would do it, but just again, to, to say my nice thing. But, you know, in general, we don't, I'm not a fan of, of central bank interference. Um, and I think that it's very dangerous. Um, the day that we're recording this, the president tweeted out that negative interest rates are a gift. And I said that they are a gift like leprosy is a gift. <laughs> so, you know, when you start having people coming from a borrower's mentality, I think it's a bad thing. Um, like you said, if you're saving for retirement, if you're hoping to retire, most people depend on fixed income and expect to get some rate of return on your money. You want to have money have value. You want there, that to be, if you loan somebody something, there to be a value to it. Otherwise, it just becomes funny money. And I am very concerned. And, and frankly, it's been happening for a long time, but it's been very accelerated. All of the things that are happening, we will pay for. And it's just a question of how. Um, 
I could make an argument for hyperinflation. I could make it an argument for deflation. There are a lot of variables here. And I just, there are too many sort of pass in the choose your own adventure book to that potentially could be go, gone down to see how this all plays out. But you don't get to do this without some consequence. And the consequence is, and this, you know, is unfortunate for the people who are listening to this who are young, and hopefully they can think about it when they, um, you know, sort of groom candidates and, and vote for people in the future, is that they're really the ones that have to pay for it, because more and more of our budget is going to be going to pay for debt. There's a, you know, a larger debt overhang, not to say that some debt isn't bad, but when you have more debt than the entire GDP of a country, that the output of a country that's not a good thing. And the fact that the biggest part of our budget in a few years, more than military, more than you know anything else, is going to be paying for stuff that we've already bought is not a forward-thinking, entrepreneurial growth yeah. mentality. And so you don't want to be saddled with that debt. And I think that um, you know while government finance does have a little bit more smoke and mirrors than personal finance does, it's just my philosophy. I, you know, I tend to be a fiscal conservative, and that is not a good thing. Um, so, it, you know, hopefully, if you're young enough and you've got a long enough outlook, again, I think you have to have optimism in our country because um, it's proven over time that that's the right thing to do. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's something that that should be paid attention to, and that people should. Um, hold politicians to task for more, um, whether it's a balanced budget, whether it's things about the Fed getting involved in interest rates, you know, all those kinds of things, um, because it, it's not it's not healthy and it's not good, and it does create this scenario where it does you know create asset bubbles. It takes money away from retirees and people who need it, and it's just it, it's just not it's not a free market principle. So, yeah, I, I'm. Oh, I think it, the double down on that is I also see there's a decent amount of youth that think that, um, you know, for lack of a better term, democratic socialism, giving out even more is the answer. And uh, yeah, I, I, it, yeah, sometimes okay, I get well, frightened. So, I, know, I know we're like running out of time, but let me, let me, let me just take a crack at it since the, since the other people. Okay, so socialism is never the answer. And, and here's the best way I can explain this to you is that Capitalism, which has been bastardized as a term, is really short for free market capitalism. Okay, so the, so it basically starts with free markets, and the idea is freedom and choice. Capitalism gives you, as an individual, freedom and choice, and it lets every one of us individually, millions of us across the country, billions of people around the world, if they want to participate in it, make choices, and those choices decide how resources are allocated, okay? The opposite of that is socialism. And socialism is against freedom and choice. It's basically saying, we're gonna take a couple of people and let them make the choices for everybody else. And everyone is going to have to live with that. And whether your perspective is, which should be, go, re go read yourself some Thomas Sowell and maybe some Milton Friedman, um, there, regardless of what kind of a spreadsheet that you have 
there is no small group of people. I don't care if you put Bill Gates and Elon Musk and you know Sundar Pichai and whoever you, whatever whoever you think is are the smartest people. I don't care who they are. There's no group of people who can do a better job at making decisions than the individuals in terms of how resources are allocated. It's just not possible. But human nature is also um, one of <laughs> power and doing things for your Absolutely. friends. And yeah. the more power and opportunity and control they have and the less freedom and choice you have is always bad. Yeah. And this is the thing that people are actually railing against isn't capitalism. You mentioned it, it's cronyism. Absolutely. And cronyism doesn't exist without the government. The, the only people who can create these cozy relationships and give favors is the government. So if you don't like the fact that the government is giving you know, big favors to their powerful friends, you should want less of that versus more of that. And right. that is my very simple explanation. I'm happy to talk about it in more detail with anyone, but the, the takeaway here is that real capitalism is freedom and choice, and you should always be on the side of freedom and choice. That's what this country was founded on. Those are the core principles of this country. Well, and then also just like, I, I appreciate the a lot of transparency. I mean, yes. you know, there is like, yes, Twitter can be snarky and political and awful, but when you get exposed for doing bad boy things, uh, people speak with their with their money, and that's not a government controlled thing. That is a I don't like that company anymore, and you go away. Huge, huge, huge point. So this goes back to to freedom and choice, right? There's a corporation who's doing crappy things. You have the freedom and choice not to interact with them, and even if there are just a handful of them. That's how new opportunities come to bear. If, if all of the social media platforms are being crappy, eventually somebody's going to come up with a new one and people will migrate there. But it's, it's not. You do not have the choice of whether you deal with the government or not. Try to tell the IRS that you have freedom and choice of whether or not you pay the taxes because you don't like the way that they're doing things. And voting for people is not the freedom and choice you think it is. And think about the best and brightest people you know, they're not in the government. And yep. you're never going to get them in the government. And even if you do, they're not going to do the right thing. So freedom and choice. <laughs> so we're just scratching the surface with Carol. If uh, you want, where should we point people to get more of your wit and wisdom? and wisdom? Yes. So um, <laughs> obviously, as we've talked about, I'm very active on Twitter. I'm at Carol J.S. Roth, R-O-T-H. Um, I also have a podcast called The Roth Effect, which is on Ricochet, but it's also on every podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. And um, those are the best places. I, I am on TV quite regularly, a little less regularly. My, my show, Bulls and Bears, is on hiatus right now during COVID-19. So I'm taking that opportunity to do a little less. Um, but usually, for, like my place where if I'm going to do something or I'm going to say something is Twitter. And if you sign up for notifications or you check my Twitter feed regularly, you can make sure you actually see them because Twitter um, doesn't always like me and they do a real good job of throttling my account um, yeah. depending on the week. So I my stuff gets hidden sometimes. You and Tim Pool. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, the passion coming through. I, uh, I, I I love love the insights and yeah from from the first day I met you. <laughs> no, from I just I, I really enjoy some of your interactions and some of the things you put out there and things for people to consider. Um, it's 
it's a tough thing to do when people have anger and vitriol and you've in several times tried to be a voice of calm like you have today, even though you're passionate about it. It's like, Hey people, there's a choice here and uh, just, just play it logically. So I do appreciate that. Well, thanks. And I will just say it's, it's one of the things that I'm most proud about is I am followed very widely by people on both sides of the spectrum because I think people believe that I'm fair and come from a place of principle. And even if you don't agree with those, uh, you know, I, I'm usually attacking ideas, not people. I try not yeah. to make it personal. Um, and even if we have different ideas, we can get along. Every once in a while, a dummy says something and I just can't help myself. And I'm, I'm just going to take that softball. I'm going to hit it out of the park. So don't say something really dumb to me. But other than that, I welcome all people <laughs> in all different walks of lives and opinions and thoughts uh, into my Twitter stream. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kara Roth, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks, Don.